Appalachia is a 200,000 square mile region that inhabits most of the east coast of the United States and includes parts or all of 14 other states, including places like Pennsylvania, states like West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and northern Mississippi. Often underrated and misrepresented, Appalachia is home to some of the best writers and publishers working and living in the United States, and this program seeks to profile those authors and publishers. From the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network and blog, I am your host, Elliot Parker, and now, Appalachia. And hello, friends, and we welcome you to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, as we bring you the best writers and publishers who are living in, writing in, and writing about Appalachia. And today we're talking poetry with another outstanding Appalachian author, January Gill O'Neill, and she joins us today after being born and being born in Norfolk, Virginia. She received a BA from Old Dominion University and an MFA from New York University. She's the author of the new poetry collection, Rewilding, which came out from Cavan Carey Press in 2018. She's also the author of the poetry collections, Misery Islands, which was winner of a 2015 Patterson Award for Literary Excellence and Underlife. She's also been the recipient of fellowships from Cave Canham and the Barbara Deming Memorial Fund. She's also an associate professor at Salem State University, and she currently serves as the John and Renee Grisham Writer-in-Residence at the University of Mississippi in Oxford, Mississippi, where she currently lives. So January, welcome to Now Appalachia. So great to have you on the program today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I wanted to ask you a little bit first about uh, growing up in Virginia and uh, being raised there and being raised in, in Norfolk and then having to uh, you know, you get your degrees, you know, get a degree mm -hmm. uh, from Old Dominion University and then go to New York and then live in Massachusetts oh, and now move <laughs> down, to, down to Mississippi. W what has all that been like? How has, <laughs> has all of those places, how has all of that um kind of inspired you and, and given you different perspectives as a writer? Well, it, it sounds like I've done that all in one week, but <laughs> no, I mean, um, I loved growing up in Norfolk. It was very diverse there because it's a military town, so there's always an influx of people. Um, and so we live, grew up pretty middle class and, um, you know, I was not ready to go away to school, so I stayed local. So I went to Old Dominion, and it was great. It was there that I um, discovered poetry. I had a terrific teacher. Uh, my teacher was Toy Derricott, who uh, is nominated this year for a National Book Award in poetry. So it's a nice honor. She's also co-founder of the organization Cave Canem, which is a writing program for um, African-American writers. So I went to school uh, thinking I would, I don't know, I think I went to school during a time where I could just choose a degree because I liked it and I, I didn't, you know, my 
career didn't depend on it. And now students go to school and they're more purposeful. I certainly wasn't. I just knew I liked English and I was good at writing. So I did that and then, you know, after I moved to DC, which was far enough away from Norfolk from my parents so they wouldn't visit all the time, but close enough so that I could go see them. And I worked for the Associated Press. Uh, that's also where I met, met Matt Bondurant, who also teaches, um, who incidentally also teaches at uh, University of Mississippi. Um, so we've been friends for a very long time. But uh, when I was in DC, I was in my mid twenties and not sure of what I would do. Um, I had this degree. Um, I knew I wanted to write, but didn't want to write for a newspaper. I didn't want to be a journalist. So I decided to go to grad school and I wanted to study with uh, poet Sharon Olds. So I um, applied and got into NYU and uh, met many of the friends there that I am friends with now. And it's so, it, it's nice to come up with a generation of writers um, and all see them have varying levels of success. So that's been great. Um, ended up meeting my uh, then husband uh, about that time and moved to Massachusetts. So I kind of went all up the East Coast and we stayed. So while I'm a Virginian at heart, uh, my kids, uh, my two kids are New Englanders. So we've been in New England about 20 years. And during that time, you know, raised a family. Uh, husband and I got divorced. Uh, but it's about the time my writing career took off. So that's when I started publishing books. And how I got here is probably the biggest mystery of all, but um, uh, being chosen as the Grisham Fellow was sort of, was one of those mysterious blessings that comes and you don't ask for. It wasn't something I applied for. So I'm just thankful that my, you know, you never know where your writing's going to reach out, uh, who's going to be reading your work, and, and a few people have, and they liked it, and they brought me here. So that's me in a nutshell. Fantastic. That's great. And I, I know that, that, that that's a, an important part of your story, having heard you read your poetry and talk mm -hmm. about your poetry and your life and your career. So it's mm -hmm. great to hear you kind of illustrate that for us. Uh, let's talk about your most recent poetry collection, Rewilding. Uh, mm -hmm. So many great poems in here and so many great things to talk about. But uh, before we get <laughs> into that um, mm -hmm. and kind of what's in the book itself, what does the term rewilding actually mean? I like to think of rewilding as uh, coming back stronger in the broken places. My second book, Misery Islands, detailed the divorce. And I feel like that was a much heavier, darker book. I was a little bit closer to the source of that pain. Uh, but moving beyond that, um, you know, this is sort of life after and, and the things that, that, that happen and come with it after you've had some time and distance. You know, life goes on. So how do you come back a little stronger? Rewilding itself is a ecological term that, you know, refers to the land uh, coming back after some sort of, um, uh, some sort of catastrophe or just what we've done to the earth. I like to think of it as, um, you know, I, I picture, you know, places that have been abandoned where, you know, the vines and the leaves and new wildlife has come back and sort of retaken that land. And so when I say coming back stronger in the broken places, 
that's really what I refer to. It's just sort of, you know, you're, you're healed over maybe a little bit. Um, it's a little tougher in those spots, but there's still something amazing and wild and beautiful about the whole process. Yeah. And I think that is so accurate when you think about your poems and some of the themes and some of the things that are going on in your collection of poetry, because it's really terrific. And there's one poem in your book I wanted you to talk about, because I know there's a story behind this and it's a great story. And there's the poem is on being told I look like Flotus, <laughs> New Year's Eve party 2014. So tell us a little bit uh, about that poem. Um, and kind of what you did or what your response was to that after you got so many people saying, you look like former First Lady Michelle Obama. Right. Well, it happens, and I tell you, it happens a little bit more in New England than it has down here. But occasionally people tell me that I look like Michelle Obama, which is clearly a compliment and very sweet. I don't necessarily see it, but, um, but you know, for a while it seemed to happen at least once a week. So it was worthy enough to write about as a poem. Uh, and I, I write about it as a particular uh, uh, instance. Um, when I wrote the poem and about the time it got published, uh, I had the opportunity to go to the White House. Um, it was for a national poetry series for high school students. And every year there's a competition, about 70,000 students high school students enter and they pick five winners. And so, you know, as somebody in the poetry community, I had the opportunity to go. The rumor has it that the poem had made the rounds of the White House. So I cannot confirm or deny that, but that is what I heard before I went. And I was this close to Michelle Obama. I just did not want the Secret Service to take me out when I lunged for her. <laughs> so, yeah. How did you feel or, or what are some of the thoughts that cross your mind when someone says, I mean, like you said, you, you couldn't prove it, but when someone says your poetry has been going through the White House, one of the most uh, awe-inspiring sort of powerful buildings in the world and the people mm -hmm. that work there, how did that make you feel? I mean, it's pretty incredible because, you know, poets, like a lot of writers, work by themselves. I mean, I often think that we're a lot like entrepreneurs. We're self-starters, we work alone, we work long hours, there's no guarantees of success, and yet we press on. So whenever my work becomes public and then it ends up in a circle that I can't foresee, I'm always amazed by that. I mean, it's, you know, it's such a privilege to have anyone read your work. Um, and it, you know, for me, I, I write for myself. You know, I, I don't write for a particular audience. I don't think of somebody on the other side, um, you know, reading my work. I really do it for me. Um, and I'm, again, it's just a happy accident that people find my work. So, um, and I'm always amazed who is touched by it. We just, we don't know who's reading our writing out there. But it seems to be connecting with people, and that's very gratifying. That's great. Another poem I want to ask you about in your collection, Rewilding, which I really liked, was on seeing Gwendolyn Brooks after her reading at LIU mm -hmm. Brooklyn, uh, mm -hmm. February 1996. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that poem and your thoughts or your inspiration or your thoughts on Gwendolyn Brooks, but also the inspiration mm -hmm. that uh, you mm -hmm. seem to gain from her. Mm -hmm. So I, so Gwendolyn Brooks, uh, was an amazing poet who passed away in the 90s. I don't quite recall the year, but, um, you know, she was a poet laureate. At, uh, she won the Pulitzer Prize at, at one point. 
Um, and just to be able to sort of be in the room with her was amazing. And when I saw her, um, I was in college at NYU. We were grad students. We were, at that point, we were, you know, wondering, you know, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? How are we going to make a career out of writing? Um, so it just sort of was a nice thing that happened. We went to a performance, which was at um, Long Island University uh, in, in the Brooklyn campus, and we went, and it was great, and we went to this local restaurant after, uh, a few friends of mine and I. We went to Junior's. We went for um, just, you know, I think they're famous for fried chicken and desserts and stuff. So we went. It was great. And then she walks in, and you know, she's beloved. And uh, it was it was sort of an impetuous thing that we did. Hey, hey, you know, it's almost something like, this is what people in movies do to, for other people. So let's send, I mean, because they're all college students, we all know you better. So let's send her a piece of pie, um, which was wonderful. And it was well received. And, you know, I, you know, I wish I had more poet, more moments like that with the poets who are older and who drop, uh, share a little wisdom along the way, you know, I'm trying to be better about that, to have conver meaningful conversations with, with writers of a certain age so that, you know, I can take a little bit of that wisdom with me. And this, in this particular case, it seemed like the perfect um, subject for a poem, just to sort of capture that moment. January Gill O'Neill is our guest here on NAP. Uh, now Appalachia. We've been talking to her about her latest collection of poetry, Rewilding. She is currently the Grisham, John and Renee Grisham, writer-in-residence at the University of Mississippi in Oxford, Mississippi. So January, you mentioned a moment ago, writers spending a lot of time alone and mm -hmm. a lot of long hours and mm -hmm. um, no guarantee of success. And I think so much of that is true. Um, I wanted to ask you, before we touch on that a little bit more, um, when you get an idea for a poem or you get an mm -hmm. idea for uh, poems built around a theme or some things have been kind of fluctuating mm -hmm. in your mind that may be good topics for poems, what's your writing process like? How, how do you get those ideas down on paper? Do you mm -hmm. have a certain period of time that elapses before you go back and look at that poem again mm -hmm. or do any editing mm -hmm. and revision? What is the process like for you when you get an idea to put a poem together? Well, it's definitely changed over the years. Um, well, most recently, I seem to be carrying around these poems uh, in my head, and maybe I'm writing as I'm working. I'm not sure if I'm doing that, but I feel like I'm doing a lot of processing. Um, you know, we've had some, uh, you know, really interesting um, things that have happened around campus and near campus involving the campus, so uh, a lot of historical um, references that I am checking and looking through so right now, I feel more like a receptacle, just trying to take it all in. What I need to do now is sit down and write. I feel like, okay, I'm at that point. I need to put it down on paper. So, you know, what I like to do is block out time, maybe two or three hours and sit down and write. It'd be great if I could do that every day. Can't do that. So uh, I, I think I'm trying to shoot for two or three times a week. But as I tell my class, it may be better to write every day. Uh, I've done that in certain points in my life. I've, I've written for seven days at a time and tried to come out with a poem every day for seven days. I've done that for a month and done a poem a day for a month. You know, sometimes it's more about quantity than quality um, because you can always decide what to do with the, the 
the drafts after they're written. Uh, so right now, I, I do feel like I'm looking for subjects to write about, but really for me now, it's about sitting down and writing. And when I'm not writing, often I'm revising. And so uh, that usually helps um, trigger something. You know, if I can't write something fresh, then I can revise or I can read too, which is also an important part of the process. Very good. Who do you think are some of the best poets writing today? Well, there are too many good ones to name. There are several on our campus. Um, I just picked up Sharon Olds' new book, and I have to admit, you know, she was my um, uh, professor, so I'm, I'm partial to that. Um, I am trying to read, uh, I'm trying to branch out, read as many new writers as I can. I'm reading a little more fiction these days, which is big for me. I tend to read a lot of poetry. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. That's great. Um, you talk about, about writing being you know, solitary and the time that you spend alone. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, when mm -hmm. you're not writing poetry, you're revising. Um, and you've had certainly a great deal of success with your, with your poems, both individually and collectively <laughs> as collections. Um, what keeps you going though, when you have those days where the inspiration isn't there or the revision's not going as well as right. you'd hoped or, you know, like you were saying, you, you sit down to accomplish writing a poem every day in seven days, and maybe in three days, you only have half of a poem completed. What, what, right. what, what keeps you motivated to keep going, um, mm -hmm. and kind of keep plodding along till you get something completed? Well, you know, I like, I will say, I do like writing a poem a day when I'm in this mindset to do it. So, you know, sometimes, you know, month of, um, you know, November is coming up and that's, you know, National Novel Writing Month. So I have often done a poetry version of that. Um, so, I, you know, I, there's something about like really giving up and letting go that allows, um, you know, a poem to come through sometimes. I really think in the body, it's a physical thing of like, okay, I give up. I got to write something. And you sort of have to put all of your um, insecurities to the side and just press through. I mean, there is no magic secret to writing. You have to be present. You have to sit yourself down. And for some people, me included, that might mean every day or at whatever specified time I've said. Uh, I've, I hold on to the idea that I have been through this before. I tell my students this. So when I'm not writing, I have to have a little faith that I'm a professional and I've done this before and have a little faith that if nothing happens today or tomorrow, that the writing hasn't left you. It's more like a muscle. And, you know, even if you haven't exercised in a while, you know, your body remembers. And so you can always pick it up when you're ready. And, and sometimes it's okay not to write. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to write and to write a masterpiece when we sit down, but I mean, that doesn't always happen. So I think we have to, you know, forgive ourselves a little bit more. We are so hard on ourselves about not accomplishing our goals that we are, that we look down and we, we don't look up to see, you know, well, I've done this, this, and this, and I had this conversation and I went to this event and I slept well and I ate well and I, you know, enjoyed my life. And those things are important, too. Yeah, very well said. Very good. Back to your collection of poetry, Rewilding. Um, 
how did you get hooked up with Cavan Carey Press? I know they published your collection yeah. in 2018, and they also published Misery Islands, which won the 2015 Patterson Award for Literary Excellence. How, how did you find mm -hmm. them, and how did you get connected with them as a press? Uh, my friend Joseph Legaspi, who I went to grad school uh, with in New York, he is co-founder of a group called Kundaman, which is uh, a group for Asian American writers. And he's actually going to be here uh, he's going to come to Old Miss in the spring uh, to read on campus. He was accepted there, and he suggested that I uh, send in my manuscript. So poetry is works differently than I think most other genres in literature. Um, we don't have agents, so we end up sending to contests or um, open submission periods. So I, so when my manuscript was ready, I sent it to two publishers, one of which was Cabin Carey, uh, and uh, a contest where I think I bounced a check and another <laughs> one. Because contest, you have to do the submission fee. And then another contest that I didn't win. But Cabin Carey took it right away. So to, to, so to have the manuscript taken, you know, right off of the, right out of the gate, that was, that was a good sign. Because it can't, it takes writers sometimes, there's so many poets writing, it does take a long time for good work to rise to the top. And so I do feel incredibly lucky about that. That's great. And some of the themes that we see in rewilding, um, love is certainly a big theme, divorce mm -hmm. is a theme. Mm -hmm. um, there's a sense of family uh, in a lot of your poems that, that come through. But two themes I really like, and I wanted you to talk a little bit about those. This idea of uncertainty, there's, there's a lot of poems mm -hmm. where there's the speaker of the poem is uncertain about certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, there's moments where the speaker is thinking about rebuilding or looking about rebuilding themselves or their life mm -hmm. or their family mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. But what I really liked about uh, kind of the, the thread that runs through all of those poems, all of your poems and all of those themes is that if someone is thoroughly challenged or if someone is really, uh, I don't want to say, you know, push to the limits, but, you know, thoroughly challenged emotionally, physically, psychologically, mm -hmm. um, that there is hope at the end, that, that there is something better on the other side. Can you, can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit? Is that a theme that you set out to develop as these poems were coming together? Or is that just something that kind of happened as you were putting them together? Oh, I think that's just me being an optimist. Um, Cause there's always, you know, I, my view of the world is that, you know, things always seem to get better. Um, you can always find opportunity in the most challenging periods of your life. Um, you know, divorce does not mean the end. Uh, you know, and I think that theme comes out quite clearly. Um, you know, so I say that with people who are going through a breakup, maybe it's not divorce, maybe it's a breakup, maybe it's the loss of a, um, of a close relationship. I mean, I think it, connection is what we're looking for and that, how we keep it, how we relate to each other, how can we move forward in the world and bring others with us? I think that just naturally comes through. And usually with themes, I, I write the poems and then I look and see, well, what's coming through? You know, what it, what, what's, what's the commonality in the pieces? And so I arrange them so that um, those themes are amplified and they bounce off each other, so. Very good, excellent. So what are you working on next? Well, oh, so interesting. Um, I, you know, I don't, I, when I moved down here in August with my two children, I didn't have um, 
a thing. I didn't have a project in mind, which is great and terrifying at the same time. But I really wanted to come down for the academic year and, um, you know, really be a part of, of the community because I knew I'd be influenced by it. So, you know, there are a few things that have happened um, that I'm trying to take into my work. Um, so uh, the Emmett Till uh, Memorial sign was just put back up uh, in Mississippi after um, being shot at um, again and vandalized. So I have I've driven down to look at the old sign. Um, I was there when the new dedication went up. So I'm really starting to think about how the past is influencing the future. So, you know, how can I talk about race in that way? Um, I'm always influenced by nature and where I am, there's a ton of nature. I can't tell you how many deer I've seen since I've moved here, probably close to 80, maybe not the same deer, but at least 80 deer sightings where I am. So I don't get that in Massachusetts. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be influenced. I'm sure I'm going to take something from that. And I'm really just trying to figure out what, I've been playing with this term Americanness and where I fit into this these, this American psyche, this this time in history, and where history is inside of me. And being a black woman of a certain age, you know, I'm I'm I, I almost want to define it. Uh, so I'm I'm looking into all of those things, and who knows how that will come out in the writing. So. Um, you know, and who knows if that, and I don't think it'll all be poetry. I, I think there'll be a few essays in there too. So you're thinking maybe a multi-genre work? Well, no, I mean, I think I'll do a poetry collection and I think I will try to write some essays. And I've also toyed around with the idea of doing some book reviews or book, crit, uh, book critiques. You know, one of the things we talk about in literature is that we don't have enough reviewers of color. And the reviewers who are out there you know, are few and far between in major publications. So, you know, if we want more work read, if we want more work that ac accurately talks about the black experience, the experience of people of color, then I think we need a wider variety of people commenting on the work that is being produced today. So I, in my head, I, you know, I'd like to think those little small steps help change whatever the canon is whatever we're looking at is uh, literature to be looked upon in the future. And so I, in some way, I'd like to be a part of that. And I, you know, here it may be the start of that. I don't know if I'll actually write something that will accomplish that in the time that I'm here, but I, I think that's a part of what I want to do while I'm here, at least get a foothold in that, figure out next steps. Very good. So in our final moments with you, January, if someone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about poetry or talk to you about your writing or get a copy of Rewilding or Misery Islands or Underlife, first of all, how can they get in contact with you? And secondly, where can they get copies of Rewilding uh, and your other poetry collections as well? Well, you can probably reach me through the university's website. So that uh, jgoneal at olmiss.edu. Um, I also have a website that I don't go to very much, but that's uh, poetmom.blogspot.com, which I'm on the fence about getting rid of because I haven't written in a while, but that's what I have up. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the usual spots poets go. Um, you can find my book, uh, 
you can find my book on Amazon uh, and you can probably order it from your local bookstore. I know that Square Books here in Oxford carries my book. So I'm assuming that Cabin Care, also you can go to cabincarypress.org and you can order it directly from the publisher. Very good. January Gill O'Neill has been our guest here today on Now Appalachia, an outstanding poet, born in Norfolk, Virginia, and currently is the John and Renee Grisham Writer-in-Residence at the University of Mississippi in Oxford, Mississippi. She is the author of three poetry collections, her most recent collection, Rewilding, which came out from Cavan Carey Press in 2018, and I'm so delighted to uh, have you as a colleague and have you as a friend, and it was great having you on Now Appalachia January, and all the best to you. Congratulations on your new collection. Thanks, Elliot. My pleasure. We also want to say thanks so much as we wrap things up on this episode of Now Appalachia to the executive producer of Now Appalachia. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all her support and all that she does behind the scenes to make each and every one of these episodes possible. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Until next time, I'm Elliot Parker. Stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. Hmm.